0: Section 22 of Cakes and Ale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cakes and Ale by Edward Spencer. Section 22. Restoratives. Raise out the written troubles of the brain, and with some antebiliary antidote, cleanse the stuffed bosom of that perilous stuff which weighs upon the soul i care not observed william of normandy to his quartermaster-general on the morning after the revelry which followed the battle of hastings who makes these barbarians wines send me the man who can remove the beehive from my o'erwrought brain this remark is not to be found in macaulay's history of england but learned authorities who have read the original manuscript in early norman make no doubt as to the correct translation it is excellent as the poet says to have a giant's thirst but it is tyrannous to use it like a giant and not only tyrannous but short-sighted for the law of compensation is one of the first edicts of nature the same beneficent hand which provides the simple fruits of the earth for the delectation of man furnishes also the slug and the wasp to see that he doesn't get too much our friend the dog is deprived of the power of articulation but he has a tail which can be wagged at the speed of six hundred revolutions to the minute and the man who overtaxes the powers of his inner mechanism during the hours of darkness, is certain to feel the effects, to be smitten of conscience and troubles of brain when he awakes a few hours later on. As this is not a medical treatise, it would be out of place to analyze at length the abominable habit which the human brain and stomach have acquired of acting and reacting on each other. Suffice it to say that there is no surer sign of the weakness and helplessness of poor, frail sinful fallen humanity than the obstinacy with which so many of us will for the sake of an hour or two's revelry boldly bid for five times the amount of misery and remorse and this more especially applies to a life on the ocean wave the midshipmite who overestimates his swallowing capacity is no longer mast-headed next morning but the writer has experienced a cyclone in the bay of bengal ere the effects of a birthday party on the previous night had been surmounted, and the effects of mastheading could hardly have been less desirable. In that most delightful work for the young, Dana's Two Years Before the Mast, we read, Our forecastle, as usual after a liberty day, was a scene of tumult all night long, from the drunken ones. They had just got to sleep toward morning when they were turned up with the rest and kept at work all day in the water carrying hides, their heads aching so that they could hardly stand. This is sailors' pleasure. Dana himself was ordered up aloft to reef torpsails on his first morning at sea, and he had probably had some sort of a farewell carouse ere quitting Boston, and the present writer upon one occasion, such is the irony of fate, was told off to indite a leading article on temperance for an evening journal within a very few hours of the termination of a derby banquet. But how shall we alleviate the pangs? How make that dreadful day after endurable enough to cause us to offer up thanks for being still allowed to live? Come the panacea, good doctor. First of all, then, avoid the chemist and his works. I mean no disrespect to my good friend Sainsbury or his number one pick-me-up, whose corpse surviving claims are indisputable. But at the same time the habitual swallower of drugs does not lead the happiest life. I once knew a young subaltern who had an account presented to him by the cashier of the firm Peak and Allen of the great continent of India, for nearly three hundred rupees, and the items in said account were entirely choleric either, extract of cardamoms, with the other component parts of a high-class restorative and in interest, saddening. The next thing to avoid, the first thing in the morning, is soda-water, whether diluted with brandy or whisky the peg may be all very well as an occasional potation but believe one who has tried most compounds tis a precious poor livener on the contrary although a beaker of the straw coloured or occasionally mahogany coloured fluid may seem to steady the nerves for the time being that effect is by no means lasting but the same panacea will not do in every case if the patient be sufficiently convalescent to digest a doctor I do not mean an M.R.C.S. His state must be far from hopeless. A doctor is a mixture of beaten raw egg, not forgetting the white, which is of even more value than the yolk to the invalid, brandy, a little sifted sugar, and new milk. But many devotees of Bacchus could as soon swallow rum and oysters in bed. And do not let us blame Bacchus unduly for the matutinal trouble. The fairy Allah has probably had a lot to do with that trouble a doctor can be made with sherry or whiskey instead of brandy and many stockbrokers clerks sporting journalists and other millionaires prefer a surgeon major who appears in the form of a large tumbler containing a couple of eggs beaten and filled to the brim with the wine of the champagne district a scorcher is made with the juice of half a lemon squeezed into a large wine glass add a liquor glass full of old brandy or hollands and a dust of cayenne mix well and do not allow any lemon pips to remain in the glass prairie oyster this is an american importation there is a legend to the effect that one of a hunting party fell sickened to death on the boundless prairie of texas and clamored for oysters now the close and cautious bivalve no more thrives in a bluegrass country than he possesses the ability to walk upstairs or make a starting price book so one of the party an inventive genius cudgeled his brains for a substitute he found some prairie hen's eggs and administered the unbroken yolks thereof one at a time in a wine glass containing a teaspoonful of vinegar. He shook the pepper caster over the yolks and added a pinch of salt. The patient recovered. The march of science has improved on this recipe. Instead of despoiling the prairie hen the epicure now looks to Madame Gobble for a turkey egg and a wooster oyster is turned out ready-made by simply substituting a teaspoonful of Lee and Perrin's most excellent sauce for vinegar. Brazil Relish This is, I am assured, a much-admired restorative in Brazil, and the regions bordering on the river plate. It does not sound exactly the sort of stimulant to take after a bump supper or a kaffir entertainment, but here it is. Into a wine-glass half-full of curacao pop the unbroken yolk of a bantam's egg fill the glass up with maraschino according to my notion a good cup of hot strong tea would be equally effectual as an emetic, and withal cheaper but certainly they take the mixture as a pick-me-up in brazil port flip is a favorite stimulant with our american cousins beat up an egg in a tumbler if you have no metal vessels to shake it in the shortest way is to put a clean white card or a saucer over the mouth of the tumbler and shake then add a little sugar a glass of port and some pounded ice, strained before drinking, leaving out the ice and the straining. This is exactly the same refresher which the friends of a criminal, who had served his term of incarceration in one of his majesty's jails, were in the habit of providing for him, and when the cold Bathfields prison was a going concern there was a small hostelry hard by in which, on a Monday morning, the consumption of port wine, fruity, and eggs, shoppens, every one, was considerable, this on the word of an ex-warder who subsequently became a stage-door-keeper. One of the most unsatisfactory effects of good living is that the demon invoked overnight does not always assume the same shape in your waking hours. Many sufferers will feel a loathing for any sort of food or drink except cold water. The captain observed the soldier-servant to a visitor. This is an old story. Ain't very well this morning, sir. He's just drunk his bath and gone to bed again and on the other hand I have known the overindulger absolutely ravenous for his breakfast. Brandy and soda, no, dear old chappie, as many eggs as they can poach in five minutes, a thick rasher of york ham, two muffins and about a gallon and a half of hot coffee, that's what I feel like. Medical men will be able to explain those symptoms in the roisterer who had probably eaten and drunk quite as much overnight as the captain. For the roisterer with a shy appetite, there are few things more valuable than an anchovy toast. The concoction of this belongs to bedroom cookery unless the sitting-room adjoins the sleeping apartment, for the patient will probably be too faint of heart to wish to meet his fellow men and women downstairs so early. The mixture must be made over hot water. Nearly fill a slop basin with the boiling element and place a soup plate over it. In the plate, melt a pat of butter the size of a walnut. Then having beaten up a raw egg, stir it in. When thoroughly incorporated with the butter, add a dessert-spoonful of essence of anchovies. Cayenne ad lib. Then let delicately browned crisp toast be brought, hot from the fire. Soak this in the mixture, and eat as quickly as you can. The above proportions must be increased if more than one patient clamours for anchovy toast and this recipe is of no use for a dinner or luncheon toast remember that after the meal is finished turn in between the sheets again for an hour then order a doctor or a surgeon major to be brought to the bedside in another twenty minutes the patient will be ready for his tub with the chill off if he be past thirty and has any wisdom or liver left within him after dressing, if he live in London and there be any trace of brain-rack remaining, let him take a brisk walk to his hairdresser's, having his boots cleaned en route. This is most important, whether they be clean or dirty, for the action of a pair of briskly directed brushes over the feet will often remove the most distressing of headaches. Arrived at the perukers, let the patient direct him to rub eau de cologne or some other perfumed spirit into the Ortax cranium and to squirt assorted essences over the distorted countenance. A good hard brush and a dab of bay-rum on the temples will complete the cure. The roisterer will then be ready to face his employer or the maiden aunt from whom he may have expectations. If the flavor of the anchovy be disagreeable, let the patient try the following toast which is similar to that used with wild-fowl. Melt a pat of butter over hot water, stir in a dessert spoonful of Worcester sauce, the same quantity of orange juice, a pinch of cayenne, and about half a wine glass full of Old Port. Soak the toast in this mixture. The virtues of Old Port as a restorative cannot be too widely known. St. Mark's Pick-Me-Up The following recipe was given to the writer by a member of an old Venetian family. Ten drops of Angostura in a liquor-glass filled up with orange bitters. One wineglassful of old brandy, one ditto cold water, one liquor glass full of curacao, and the juice of half a lemon. Mix well together. I have not yet tried this, which reads rather acid. For an overtrained athlete who may not take kindly to his rations, there is no better cure than the lean of an underdone chop, not blue inside, hot from the fire on a hot plate with a glass of port poured over. A hot pickle sandwich should be made of two thin slices of crisp toast, no butter, with chopped West Indian pickles in between. And for a deviled biscuit, select the plain cheese biscuit, heat in the oven, and then spread over a paste composed of finely pounded lobster worked up with butter, made mustard, ground ginger, cayenne, salt, chili vinegar, and, if liked, a little curry powder. Reheat the biscuit for a minute or two and then deal with it. Both the last-name restoratives will be found valuable liver tonics, and to save future worry the patient had better calculate at the same time the amount of estate duty which will have to be paid out of his personality, and secure a nice dry corner out of the draft for his place of sepulchre. A working man's livener, and by working man the gentleman whose work consists principally in debating in taverns is intended, is usually a hair of the dog that bit him overnight and in some instances where doubt may exist as to the particular tufter of the pack which found the working man out the livener will be a miscellaneous one for solid food this brand of labourer will usually select an uncooked red herring which he will divide into swallow portions with his clasp-knife after borrowing the pepper-caster from the tavern counter and his new rum mixed with fourpenny ale occasionally enters into the overnight's programme of the horny-handed one he is frequently very thirsty, indeed, before the hour of noon. I have seen a journalist suck half a lemon previously well besprinkled with cayenne prior to commencing his matutinal scratch, but rum and milk form, I believe, the favorite livener throughout the district which lies between the Adelphi Theater and St. Paul's Cathedral. And according to Dr. Edward Smith, the chief English authority on dietetics, rum and milk form the most powerful restorative known to science. With all due respect to Dr. Smith, I am prepared to back another restorative, commonly known as a small bottle, which means a pint of champagne. I have prescribed this many a time, and seldom known it fail. In case of partial failure, repeat the dose. A valuable, if seldom employed, restorative is made with Bovril, as one of the ingredients. Make half a pint of beef tea in a tumbler with this extract. Put the tumbler in a refrigerator for an hour, then add a liquor glass full of old brandy with just a dust of cayenne. This is one of the very best pick-me-ups known to the faculty. A swizzle, for recuperative purposes, is made with the following ingredients. A wine glass full of Hollands, a liquor glass full of Curacao, three drops of Angostura bitters, a little sugar, and half a small bottle of seltzer water. Churn up the mixture with a swizzle stick, which can be easily made with the assistance of a short length of cane the ordinary school-treat brand, a piece of cork, a piece of string, and a pocket-knife. A very extraordinary pick-me-up is mentioned by Mr. F. C. Phillips in one of his novels, and consists of equal parts of brandy and chili vinegar in a large wine glass. Such a mixture would in all probability corrode sheet-iron. I am afraid that writers of romance occasionally borrow a little from the imagination. The most effectual restorative for the total abstainer is unquestionably old brandy it should be remembered that a rich heavy dinner is not bound to digest within the human frame if washed down with tea or aerated beverages. In fact, from the personal appearances of many worthy teetotalers, I have known digestion cannot be their strong suit. Then many abstainers only abstain in public, for the sake of example, and within the lock cupboard of the study lurks a certain black bottle which does not contain copse ale. Therefore I repeat that the most effectual restorative for the total abstainer, whether as a direct change or as a hair of the dog, is brandy. Our ancestors cooled their coppers with small ale and enjoyed a subsequent sluice at the pump in the yard. These methods are still pursued by stable helpers and such like. A good walk acts beneficially sometimes. Eat or drink nothing at all but try and do five miles along the turnpike road within the hour. Many habitual roisterers hunt the next morning with heads opening and shutting alternately until the fox breaks covert when misery of all sorts at once takes to itself wings. And I have heard a gallant warrior, whilst engaged in a polo match on York Knavesmire, protest that he could distinctly see two polo balls. But he was not in such bad case as the eminent jockey who declined to ride a horse in a hood and blinkers, because one of us must see, and I'm hanged if I can. It was the same jockey who, upon being remonstrated with for taking up his whip at the final bend when his horse was winning easily, replied, Whip be blowed. IT WAS MY balance pole. I SHOULD HAVE FELL OFF WITHOUT IT. STRAIGHT TALKS. IN THE LOWEST DEPTH THERE IS A LOWER DEPTH, WHICH NOT ONLY THREATENS TO DEVOUR, BUT WHICH WILL INFALLIBLY DEVOUR THE TOO PERSISTENT roisterer. FOR SUCH I LABOUR NOT. THE SEER OF VISIONS, THE WOULD-BE STRANGLER OF SERPENTS, THE BAFFLED RAT-HUNTER, AND OTHER VICTIMS TO THE OVERESTIMATION OF HUMAN CAPACITY WILL GET NO ASSISTANCE, BEYOND INFINITE PITY FROM THE MIND WHICH GUIDES THIS PIN. The dog will return to his own vomit, the willful abuser of the goods sent by a bountiful providence is past praying for. But to others who are on the point of crossing the Rubicon of good discretion, I would urge that there will assuredly come a time when the pick-me-up will lose its virtue and will fail to chase the sorrow from the brow, to minister to the diseased mind. Throughout this book I have endeavored to preach the doctrine of moderation and enjoyment. Meat and drink are, like fire, very good servants, but the most oppressive and exacting of slave-drivers. Therefore enjoy the sweets of life whilst ye can, but as civilized beings, as gentlemen, and not as swine. For here is a motto which applies to eating and drinking even more than to other privileges which we enjoy. Wisely and slow they stumble who run fast. A resort to extremes is always to be deprecated, and many sensible men hold the total abstainer in contempt, unless he abstains simply and solely because a moderate use of beer and baccy makes him ill. And this man is indeed a rarity. The teetotaler is either a creature with no will power in his composition, a Pharisee who thanks providence that he is not as other men, or a lunatic. There can be no special virtue in swearing off good food and good liquor, whether for the sake of example, or for the sake of ascending a special pinnacle and posing to the world as the incarnation of perfection and holiness. In the parable, the publican was justified rather than the Pharisee, because the former had the more common sense, and knew that if he set up as immaculate and without guile he was deceiving himself and nobody else. But here on earth in the nineteenth century the publican stands a very poor chance with the Pharisee, whether the last name assumed the garb of social purity or vigilance, or the sombre raiment of policemen. This is not right. This is altogether wrong. The total abstainer, the rabid jackass who denies himself, or claims that he does so, the juice of the grape and drinks the horrible flatulent concoctions known as temperance beverages, is just as great a sinner against common sense as that rabid jackass, the habitual glutton or drunkard, who in abusing the good things of life, the gifts which are given us to enjoy, is putting together a rod of rattlesnakes for his own back there is nothing picturesque about drunkenness and there is still less of manliness therein there is plenty of excuse for the careless happy-go-lucky casual overestimator who revels on festive occasions with his boon companions tis a poor heart that never rejoices and wedding feasts celebrations of famous victories birthday parties and christmas festivities have been and will continue to be held by high and low from the earliest times. But there is no excuse, but only pity and disgust, for the sot who sits and soaks, or worse still, stands and soaks, in the tavern day after day, and carries the brandy-bottle to bed with him. I have lived through two-thirds of the years allotted to man, and have never yet met the man who has done himself or anybody else any good by eating or drinking to excess, nor is the man who has benefited himself or society through scorning and vilifying good cheer a familiar sight in our midst. Keep in the middle of the road is the rule to be observed, and there is no earthly reason why the man who may have applied hot and rebellious liquors to his blood as a youth should not enjoy that lusty winter of old age, frosty but kindly, provided those warm and warlike liquors have been applied in moderation. I will conclude this sermon. With part of a verse of the poet Dryden's imitation of the twenty ninth ode of Horace, though its heathen carpe diem sentiments should be qualified by a special caution as to the possible ill effects of bidding too fierce a defiance to the reaction day. Happy the man, and happy he alone, he who can call to day his own, he who secure within can say, To morrow, do thy worst, I've lived to day. End of section twenty two. Recording by Philip Gould. End of Cakes and Ale by Edward Spencer.